In today's episode of Men's Bible Study, Pastor John Mark Caton continues in a series entitled Five Pillars of Biblical Manhood. A couple episodes ago, Aaron's failure of standing in the faith was discussed. Now in contrast of that, John Mark showcases Stephen from Acts chapters 6 and 7 and how he stood firm and defended his faith and how he passionately shared the gospel while staying strong under pressure. Now let's hear from Pastor John Mark. All right, hey guys, uh, take and turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, uh, as we go back to our five pillars of biblical manhood. Uh, and then if you also want to mark, we're going to spend a lot of time in Acts chapter 6 and 7 uh, as we uh, continue to journey through really what it means to be a man and what it looks like to be a man that succeeds uh, and last week, as we looked at this second pillar, let me just read uh, our base verses, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. It says, be on your guard. That's what we looked at uh, week one and week two. We looked in scripture of someone that was an epic failure uh, at staying on their guard, Samson, and then someone who was a sweet success, uh, the Apostle Paul. Then the last week, last time we were together, we looked at the second idea, which was to stand firm in the faith, then we're to be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Now, we're on that second pillar. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at stand firm in the faith. And we looked at Aaron, the fact that Aaron, although um, he was there with Moses, so often did so much that was right and well in support of Moses and leading the children of Israel, the high priest there, when Moses was on the mountain too long, uh, he developed some weak knees, some weak values, and ultimately... Um, uh, built a golden calf for the children of Israel to worship and the consequences of his failure, of his not uh, standing firm in his faith, 3,000 people died and then others died beyond that. And so it's so important. Today I want to look at someone uh, who was successful in standing firm in their faith and it's a guy named Stephen. Uh, I don't know how much you know about Stephen, but uh, when we think about the first deacons that were ever selected, uh, Stephen was in that category. Uh, after Pentecost and the church began to grow, the, uh, the needs of the people began to far outweigh those uh, of the disciples or those of the ministry staff. And what was happening is some widows were being overlooked in the dissemination of food. And so then you had, if you want to put it that way, the disciples or the staff, they were faced with a dilemma. Uh, do they stop doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is praying and teaching God's Word and leading out in the New Testament church uh, because the needs were so overwhelming? Do they stop doing that and ministering to the widows or ministering uh, in the church in different places? Or do they get other men who are willing to step up beside them and help out? And I will tell you, it's the same way today, guys, that there is so much going on at our church or whatever church you're, you attend that, man, your staff, your pastors, those who lead the church, we need men who are willing to step up and say, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that. Why? Because the needs are overwhelming. The call of the gospel uh, is uh, beyond what we can't hire enough staff to do everything that needs to be done in the church. So what do we need? We need men who are willing to step up. And we're gonna encounter one of those guys named Stephen today, and we're gonna see that Stephen does in fact demonstrate a strong faith, a faithful faith, but also a willingness to stand firm in his faith because he encounters some opposition. 
And so if you look just Acts chapter 6, verse 1, let's just kind of set, uh, set the reasoning for the deacons, the purpose for the deacons, the purpose that men need to step up in that church. Uh, men needed to step up in that church in those days, but also why men need to step up today. It says that in those days, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in those days, when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, in those days, much like this day, but even worse in those days, uh, a widow was really destitute. If she didn't have family, if she didn't have uh, someone to really provide for her and take care of her in an agrarian society like that, uh, you didn't have widows in those days uh, who had their husband's 401k or had social security. They were completely reliant on someone caring for them. And if they were a widow who happened to not have children or a son or something and they've lost everything, they were completely reliant on the church. And so the church was doing what the church was called to do, which was ministering to those who were in need, but you had a problem. Many of the first, um, first leaders of the church, many of the first who followed faith after Pentecost uh, there in Jerusalem, many of them were Jews. And they just had a natural tendency to overlook the Hellenistic or the Greek widows in favor of the Hebrew widows. And so there became kind of a dispute. And then the disciples looked out and said, you know what, that's a real need. That's something that needs to happen. Uh, it needs to happen. And I will tell you, as a staff, a lot of times someone will come to us and say, now, now pastor, do you know uh, that we're missing this opportunity? Do you know that we don't have enough people, Dave's here, Severed in Children's Ministry, or we don't have enough door greeters, we don't have enough folks at the connection wall? Do you know that? We know that we need those things. And so oftentimes, then we'll say, you know, you're right, we need to meet that need. And then you're faced with a trip. You know, do the pastors keep pastoring? Do we keep leading? Or do we pull out of what we're doing to ultimately meet the need? Not that the need's not important, but it's that we always got to remember God has called each of us to do something. And so that was the issue is that widows needed to be ministered to and some were being overlooked so the disciples in that day said you know what we're going to select some men everybody say men men have always been needed to step up to fill positions of need in the church so the church can continue to reach those in the community in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the remote parts of the earth. Now, what do we know about Stephen? All right, let me just show you some things about Stephen uh, as we move towards him ultimately standing firm in his faith all the way to death. First thing we need to know about Stephen is this. You might want to just write this down. Is He was known by others in his church for good reasons. Now, you notice I say for good reason. You know, some of y'all are known. How many of you know that? But it's not for a good thing. Uh, there, we have guys in our church that are known for a lot of, th a lot of things. We have some guys that y'all know, even in here, or maybe you're in a group, that whenever they say something, there are guys that are known, they're funny. How many of you know? They're going to say something sarcastic, and you just can't wait for something to come out of their mouth because it's going to be funny. There are other guys that are known for the church for this or that. They're the guy that does this or the dude that does that. You know, that's a good thing. But I love what happens here is Stephen is one of the guys, when the disciples go and so say, select 
men from among you. Stephen was a dude that was known by other dudes in the church before there were dudes named deacons. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Stephen was a dude in the church that was known by other dudes in the church before there were dudes named deacons. In other words, they were serving. I, I don't ever want there to be a mindset or a thought in, in your heart um, where you think, you know, if they ever made me a deacon, I would start serving. If, you know, if they ever put me in a position, I would start serving. Guys, I want you to know, the call on your life as a follower of Christ, as a member of our church or whatever church you're serving in, man, the call on your life is to be known, to be up front, to be visible, to be serving. And I love that about, about Stephen. It doesn't say that, you know, once they selected Stephen, then all of a sudden he was known by others. No, Stephen was known. So let me ask you a question. When we think about standing firm in our faith and the opportunity we're going to get to at the end of his life, that he does, in fact, stand firm in his faith, what are you known by right now in the church? How do people know you? I'm telling you, there are guys that we hear from time to time that someone will come in and talk to us or about a visitor or something like that, and they may not know that dude's name, but they'll say, you know what, there was a guy that met me at the front door and walked me over to the children's area and helped me get my kids checked in, and he was the nicest dude. I wish I remembered his name. You know, they may not know his name, but guess what? That dude's known. How many of you know? And God saw so let me ask you a question. Here at Cottonwood Creek or wherever church that you go to, what are you known by? On Sunday mornings, on Saturday night, on Wednesday night during worship, what are you known for? And if you say, well, pastor, I'm really not known. I kind of ease in. I sit down. I, I sing a little if they sing the right songs. I, I study the Bible and then I leave. Guys, I want you to, I want you to know right now. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, God's got a place for you in His church. God's got a place for you in His church. And you say, Pastor, well, you don't know my past. God does, and God's got a place for you in church. You say, Pastor, uh, you know, I've got this going on or that going on or I'm struggling here. Can I tell you? God's still got a place for you in His church. And so I love that about Stephen. That ought to be a challenge for each of us, guys, that every one of us needs to be known for something in God's church. Man, my guess is if I followed you around today and I went to your work, whether it's in construction or IT or sales or management or something, if I followed you into your office, your place of work, my guess is you would be known for something. Man, that's the dude that fires people. That's the dude that hires people. That's the guy that you go to. If you have a problem, go to him. We're known for something outside the walls of the church. The question is, what are you known for inside the church? What are you known for here? And, and I love that about Stephen. Is he didn't wait to be appointed a deacon before he let who he was be known to others in the church. So guys, the invitation today when we think about standing firm in our faith is this. Every guy in this room, every guy on Zoom, every guy that listens to this podcast, 
Here's an invitation from your pastor, an, inv an invitation from the New Testament. Let's be known for something here at Cottonwood Creek. Let's be known for something. They may not know your name, but let them know your face. Let them see you here at the Connect Wall, over at the Welcome Center, down in the children's area, at the front door, at the back door, out in the parking lot. Let them know you for something. And when you do, there might be that day that all of a sudden you'd be like Stephen. And I'm not talking about the stoned part. I'm talking about where they say, man, let's make that dude a deacon because he's far excelled what others have done. And so let's look back. He's known by others in the church. Notice what it says, verse 2. So the twelve gathered all of the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. He says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you, there it is, among you, who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Who are known? Man, Stephen was one of those dudes. They, they didn't go into this trial period. They didn't go into this probationary period. They didn't try to get to know people. They said, hey, choose men from among yourselves who are already known. Who we already know. And guess what? The congregation said, okay, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Every couple of years, we select deacons here at Cottonwood Creek, and we have people that are nominated, and then uh, they go through a, a process of, uh, of we, we, we check them out on their faith, and we encourage them, we teach them, we train them, we lead them to that space, but they have to be known first. They have to be known first. And so I love this idea that Stephen didn't wait until he had a powerful position to be known in his church. Stephen just did what God called him to do day by day, week by week in his church. And when the time came for men to be selected as those first deacons, his name just showed up. Guys, as I look around every guy in this room, I don't know where you've been. I don't know what's gone on in your past. But I can tell you right now as your pastor, there's not a man in this room that if you won't be like Stephen beginning from this, moment, this point forward, full of the spirit and of wisdom, that you can't serve as a deacon at Cottonwood Creek. Now you may need to put a little more distance between you and the struggle that you had. You might need to overcome some more things, but I want you to know God's call on your life is there's nothing that stands. I will also tell you this, not everybody needs to be a deacon to be known in their church. My guess is there were a couple of other dudes. They could have had more. They could have asked more. They could have invited more. But here's who they chose. And so now as we think about it, man, he actively served in his church. Look at it, verse 3. They said, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. What were the disciples saying? We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. We've got to be preparing to teach. We've got to counsel. We've got to care. We've got to love. We've got to pray for people. We've got to pray over people. We've got to do all the daily details of what it means to lead a church and minister and, and share the gospel and expand uh, the witness. But we need some dudes who are willing to take on this responsibility that we can hand this responsibility over to them. Who are the most likely people that you can hand responsibility over to? Those that are already doing something else. That's what I found in church. 
I found in church that, uh, you know, you look at our staff a lot of times, you say, man, what do we have coming up? We've got a sportsman's feast. We've got this. We've got that. Well, who do we want to lead? Well, our typical response is who's already doing something? Because we've already, been, we've already seen them be faithful and serve and, man, say, I got this door. I got that door. I got this connect wall. I'm working in the church. They're already doing it. And so we have a tendency to give them more. But my encouragement to you guys is this. Be known in your church. Be known for something. And then all of a sudden, when those next opportunities for responsibilities come up, man, we'll be looking at you. We'll be looking at you. And every dude in this room is capable of taking something and making it better than it is in just a short time if you're willing, willing to simply be faithful. So he actively served in his church. I love this next idea. Man, he had a humble spirit. Look at it in verse 5. It says, This proposal pleased the whole group. In other words, they said, Okay, yeah, we'll choose from among ourselves some men who are full of spirit and the wisdom, and we're going to encourage them to become deacons. And this is part of a humble spirit. When we think of deacons, I don't know what kind of church you grew up in, but a lot of times, uh, depending on the church you grew up in, we, we oftentimes, how many of you ever heard the deacon body called the deacon board? In other words, a lot of times people think, well, it's a deacon board. They're the ones that rule the church. I want you to know that is not a biblical model. Deacon boards are not a biblical model. Deacon boards are not there to tell the pastor what to do or run the church. They're called a deacon body because if you look at the word originally, it means literally a deacon was one who would wait tables. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, the word says basically to be a servant. That's what it means to be a deacon. But think of the context, to wait tables. What was the greatest need they had in their church? Some widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food to other widows. So what's your response to people who need food? You hire waiters. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? And let me tell you what, there was nothing special or powerful about being someone who carried food to widows. Dudes that did that just had humble spirits and humble hearts and said, man, I'm willing to do that. Why? Because that's God's call in my life. And so I love this idea that when, when Stephen signed up to be a deacon, he didn't sign up to be a part of the deacon board. He signed up to be one of the waiters, to wait tables. And man, we need more men that are known, that are actively serving, that are humble enough to say, man, what needs to be done around here? Even if I don't get the publicity, even if I don't, if everybody else doesn't, what, what do I just need to do? What needs to be done? Man, you want to see a great church? You want to see a great church? You have a load of men in that church who say, I don't care if I get the glory, I don't care if I get uh, the stage, I don't care if I get on any board, but I do want to be about serving the people that God brings us. And so notice as we read on, it says, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now they're already supposed to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Now he's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And then it lists a bunch of other dudes. Now jump down to verse 6. 
It says, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, we do have deacon ordination. In other words, you, you, you put people through, they are nominated. That's the way the process goes at Cottonwood Creek. Someone nominates you. Uh, we begin to go through some interviews with you. We want you to share your faith. We want you to demonstrate that you're growing in your faith. We want you to demonstrate a place that you've served. You've already been active. You're serving. And then all of a sudden, you become a deacon. Well, part of that is ultimately we move to a, an ordination night where those men are set apart, not as better than... But they're set apart. They're identified. These are deacons at Cottonwood Creek Church. Or these are deacons at your church. And so we'll have a season and a night where testimonies are given, families are brought together. We have the men uh, get on their knees. We still to this day do exactly what they did. We pray over them and lay their hands on them. And at no point when we put our hands on deacons are we saying, this dude is a perfect dude. What we do say is this is a dude that is saved by grace, that is growing every day and is willing to serve others in the church. As best we can tell, this is a faithful dude who is full of the Spirit. That's what a deacon is. Someone who's known in their church, someone that actively serves, someone that has a humble spirit, someone that is willing to say, I'll wait tables in God's house. That's not a low calling guy. That's, guys, that's a high calling. That is a wonderful calling. It says, they presented these men to the apostles and they prayed and laid hands on them. Now notice what else we notice about Stephen. He was passionate about seeing the gospel grow and the church grow. So notice what happens, verse 7. And we need men like this. We need men that are passionate. It says, as a result of Stephen and the others being selected as deacons. It says, So the word of God spread, verse 7, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So Stephen was also passionate, not only about waiting tables, ministering to the widows, but also seeing the gospel go out, seeing the word of God spread and seeing the church grow. And I love this idea because men stepped up to serve alongside the ministers. The gospel grew. The word of God spread. And if you want to notice the miracle of all miracles, it's right there. And even some of the priests got saved. How many of you know that? How many of you would love to see Hill House get saved? All right? I mean, it could be right there, right? Dude, you never know. One of y'all might become a deacon and he might get saved. What, what would be better than that, right? And so as you think about this, this was a dude, man. He said, you know what? Some widows are being overlooked. Sign me up. Need somebody to open a door at church? Sign me up. Need somebody to park some cars at church? Sign me up. You need someone to serve in children's ministry? Sign me up. Need someone to serve at the Connect Wall? Sign me up. And guess what? The word of God spread. Why? Those who were teachers got to teach more freely. Those who needed to do other things got to do those things more freely. Why? Because we're the body of Christ. How many of you know that? Man, when the body of Christ begins to function fully together, God moves in that church in a powerful way. And guys, some of y'all need to be that part that gets active, that serves, that is known, 
that is humble. And good things are going to happen. And God's going to be all over you. And God's going to be all over your family. And God's going to be all over this church. And God's going to be all over this city. God's going to be all over this community. And ultimately, if, God's church, if, God, if the men of God will do what God calls them to do, God will be all over this country. Just because of men who are willing to stand firm in their faith. But he's not done. He's also passionate about seeing the gospel. He's humble in spirit. He's willing to serve. He's willing to do anything. But now as we jump down, notice this. The word of God, verse 7, spread, and the number of disciples increased rapidly in Jerusalem, and a large number of priests even became obedient to the faith. Now, so that's who he was. But remember, part of standing firm in your faith means... That when the opposition come, when the attacks come, that men stand boldly for their faith. Remember the last example we looked at, someone who epically failed, Aaron, who had been faithful for so many times. He was standing there with Moses before Pharaoh. He had done a lot of things. He had seen God do a lot of things. But when Moses was on the mountain too long, Aaron caved to the people. Because opposition comes. Well, let's notice the sweet success that we see with Stephen in his life because when opposition comes his way, he doesn't fold. He doesn't have weak knees. He doesn't have weak values. He stands strong and stands in the faith. So notice this. He was strong under pressure. Pick it up. We're going to jump down to verse 8. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great signs and wonders among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, uh, as it is called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia, uh, Cilicia, uh, as well as Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom and the spirit that the spirit God gave him when he spoke. So here's what happened. So Stephen was faithful in the church, but he also was faithful outside the church. So he's serving tables to widows in the church. He was known in his church. He was passionate in his church. He was active in serving in his church, but he was also faithful outside the church. And so he would go out and he would teach and he would share what he knew. So he didn't, he didn't confine his witness to the church. And so all of a sudden, those who didn't like his message, begin to apply a little pressure. We need men that are like Stephen, who have biblical knowledge. So the question becomes is, if you think about this guy, what are you doing day by day, week by week, to grow in your biblical knowledge, your knowledge of the faith. You're here, you're learning about Stephen today. This is a good thing. You heard Justin talk about Wednesday night, teaches First John Sunday morning. Are you in a life group? Are you in a Bible study? Are you growing in your faith? Man, gaining biblical knowledge is so powerful and so needed. And we're going to see the sermon that he preaches in response. And he really takes the Old Testament, connects it with the New Testament, and points at Jesus. And so, man, we constantly want to grow in our biblical knowledge and our faith and our understanding. And it says, man, he encountered some opposition. But despite the opposition of his enemies, Stephen's faith was ironclad. Part of it is because he had other men behind him. They were cheering him on. Part of it is he had prepared for this moment. He was known in the church before he was a deacon. He was studying God's word before he was a deacon. 
And all of a sudden, all the study and all the preparation applied and worked itself out when he had faced strong opposition. So now, notice the courage that he has. We'll jump down to verse 11. It says this. It says, So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. All right? Here's where he's going to demonstrate some courage. He's been faithful to teach, but now he's going to be strong in his faith. Verse 13 says, They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops talking against the holy place and against the law. Let me tell you what. Um, they brought some false accusations against him. That he had spoken against the law of Moses, and he had spoken against the temple. And let me tell you what, that is the one thing that you didn't do to them. And so they brought false ac accusations. And they said, well, he's teaching against this, he's teaching against this, which was not true at all. If you look at Stephen's messages, you look at his word, he was just connecting the Old Testament with the New Testament and pointing to Jesus, which is what John the Baptist is, right? He said the whole of John the Baptist, the whole Old Testament sacrificial system was about one thing. What did John say? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You want to know what all the Old Testament sacrifices were? They didn't take away one sin. A dude right there named Jesus, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's what Stephen was doing. He was taking the Old Testament and he was saying, we're here. Jesus died, was buried, rose again the third day. That is ultimately the purpose of the Old Testament sacrificial system, every other legal system, is to point us to a need for a Savior. And so now, as we jump back in, it says, They stirred up the people against him. They produced false witnesses, verse 13, who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of the angel, of an angel. I really don't know what that means, but what it does mean is probably didn't look like a bitter dude, okay? Uh, I don't know if I'm sitting there in front of the Sanhedrin if anybody look at me because I've never had anybody tell me I had the face of an angel. Anybody in here had, had somebody say, you know, you really have a face of an angel. Yeah, I, I think we're all in the same boat. We are birds of a feather flocked together, and we don't have angel faces, right? But what I think what it's saying there is that you had a guy that was just, man, he was so good with what he had been doing and what he had been saying. He was so innocent of the charges against him that they looked at him and go, he doesn't look angry, doesn't look bitter, because he knows he's right. He's got a relationship with the Son of God. He knows who he is, he knows what he's called to do, and he knows what he's supposed to be doing. And I love this. Now notice how he defends his faith. And, and, and let me just tell you, um, we focus a lot here at Cottonwood Creek on apologetics. It's being able to defend your faith. That's what it means. By, by the way, apologetics doesn't mean apologizing for the faith. It's anything but. It means defending your faith. It means defending your faith. And so now they brought these charges against Stephen, and the question is, is he going to tuck tail and run? Is he going to fold? Is he going to develop weak knees like Aaron did, or is he going to stand up and give a well-reasoned argument as to why he teaches what he teaches, why he does what he does, and why he believes what he believes? 
And here it is. Pick it up in Acts chapter 7, verse 1. Here he is responding, and let me tell you what he does. He connects the Old Testament with the New Testament, the old, ultimate message. He's strong in his faith, strong in his argument. It says, then the high priest asked Stephen, part of what they do in the Sanhedrin is, once they brought charges against you, they will let you give a defense. And so here this guy who was not a preacher starts giving this eloquent speech, and they ask, are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. All right? He goes all the way back to God showing up to Abraham. And if, I'm, I'm not, I encourage you to read all of Acts chapter 7 today. I'm not going to spend time reading it right now. But he goes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, all the way through in just one person after another person and then David and Solomon and he built the temple and what is he doing Stephen is saying I'm standing before you because of a legacy of God's call on people's lives ultimately leading to the person of Jesus Christ that's what he says he goes and that's what I'm preaching that's what I'm preaching. Now, if you jump down to verse 51, so they're all listening to this history lesson, most of what they know, and then notice what he says in verse 51. And he goes, and you, y'all are a bunch of stiff-necked dudes, all right? Now, my guess is at that point, they didn't think he had a face of an angel. But let me tell you what they do know. He is throwing scripture at them. Because if you go look at that phrase, stiff-necked people, you can see it in Exodus 19, Exodus 33, Deuteronomy 9, Nehemiah 9, Isaiah 41, Jeremiah 7, and a number of other places. So when he goes through the Old Testament, he goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, uh, Moses, uh, all the way through, then David and, and, and Solomon, and all the way through. And then all of a sudden he goes, and you are stiff-necked people? He's going, you're just like the people. They were always resisting the call of God, always rejecting what Moses was saying, always complaining uh, when David would try to lead you, always complaining about this and that. And so he says, you're a stiff-necked people. You won't go forward. And so now as we read on, he says, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. So what was he saying? See, they were Jews. They knew about physical circumcision. And what they knew, even as Jews, physical circumcision did not save them. It didn't. They knew that. It was a sign of the covenant, but they knew it didn't save them. And he goes, you're still uncircumcised in your hearts and your ears. and You're not willing to see what it's all about. And now as you continue to read, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. He says, you are like your ancestors, the stiff-necked ones. He says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet? Notice what he says. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted that the righteous one would come. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. What is he now doing? Old Testament to New Testament. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You guys are the one that nailed Jesus to the cross. Man, he is lighting them up. This guy who was known in his church, he was humble in spirit, he was active, he was serving, he was willing to do anything. Now all of a sudden, he has developed such a biblical model and biblical knowledge that he can defend the faith from beginning to end. 
And he goes, and you ultimately are the one who betrayed and murdered Jesus Christ, God's only Son. He says, you who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. And what an incredible testimony. But it doesn't stop there. Because let me tell you what, at the end of his, at the end of his sermon wasn't an invitation. It broke out into a rock concert. And he was on the receiving end. So as you jump in, notice what happens. He is strong till the end. Acts chapter 6, chapter 7, verse 54. said, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, known in his church, and he looked up to heaven saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In verse 56, he says, Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The same Son of Man he had just said, you murdered. And he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God right now. How do you think that made them feel? Feel it's always about Jesus. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You can even see the grace of God in this tragic event that a man named Saul who would ultimately become Paul, was right there cheering these guys on as they stoned Stephen. And finally, notice this. I love this about Stephen. Even in the end, he had a forgiving spirit. He wanted what was best for everybody in the community, even those throwing rocks at him. Look at what it says, verse 60. It says, Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He had a forgiving spirit. Guys, if uh, you say, man, I'm not going to serve in the church because, you know, in a previous church this happened, didn't turn out well, or somebody didn't do this, or somebody hurt me, or a previous pastor did this, or a deacon did that, or some, can I just tell you, be like Stephen. Have a big forgiving spirit. You want to know what this church needs? Men are willing to stand firm in their faith. It starts by being known in your church. What do you want to be known for? What are you known for right now? When I pray here in a second, Justin and Sloan are right over there. Guys, if you're not serving somewhere, clear call of God right now. It's starting this Sunday. I want you to be known somewhere in this church. You say, what's it going to cost me, Pastor? Show up to church 10 minutes earlier. We got a job for you. Open a door. Stand right here at the connect wall. Put a smile on your face. Have an angel face. How about that? In fact, here's what I know. That's my door right there. If you don't look at it, isn't it a big, nice door right there? You know, one of the sad things I see every Sunday when I walk out that door? Same two or three dudes standing here every Sunday. Same two or three dudes. When I'm thinking, there should be 40 standing right here. And I'm looking in their faces right now. I walk by, I see the same guys opening that door, same guys opening that door, same guys opening those doors. 
when we could have 40 or 50 right from this day. Guys, be that man. Show up 10 minutes early. Put a smile on your face. No telling what God's going to do in the days ahead. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity just to look at the life of Stephen and see how he stood firm, known by his church, known in his church, humble and gracious and caring, just willing to say, serve some tables and serve some widows, but ultimately grow in his knowledge, defend his faith, and then at the end of the day, know it's all about forgiveness for others because of what Jesus did for them on the cross. God, I pray every man here would be known for something in your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Have a great day. First timers, good to have you. Bo, looking forward to breakfast with you, buddy. And uh, God bless. Y'all have a good one. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. That's cottonwoodcreek.org.